0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter two. And this evening we're going to be looking at another topic from found in the Westminster Larger Catechism. With any of these topics, we're not going through every single part of the questions as basic, very general. Uh, topics and this evening we 're going to be looking at the topic of the benefits of knowing Christ the benefits of knowing Christ and the topic is largely based on question 57 to question number sixty if you 're following along in the larger catechism so there are benefits to knowing Christ um, there 's I think it's one of the things we always think of when we're doing anything in life, don't we? Um, I think when we were moving house there recently, sometimes you think of the benefits of moving to a new area. Uh, the, the house might be bigger, the house might be smaller. Um, the, handy, the, the wonderful thing is with our new house, we don't have to travel nearly as much. We travel, what, half a mile now, so that's, that's wonderful. We don't have to be traveling 15 miles as we were from Drumore, any, as we did in the past. But it's not just a major benefit um, that we're living closer. The, the benefit of living in the area, being closer to people, getting to know people. Uh, there are wonderful benefits for all sorts of things that we do in life. But there's none greater than the benefits we see here in knowing Christ. Sure, I mean, every time somebody comes to visit our house, they always comment on the view. And it's something I keep missing all the time. And everybody comes to our house and says... Wow, isn't that amazing? And I think sometimes it's almost a bit like that. Maybe when you meet a new Christian, isn't it amazing to be a Christian? It's amazing to be a Christian. And you meet those people who are just on fire for the Lord and they point you towards him once again. And you see, wow, look at that view. Look at Christ. Uh, the, The benefits of knowing Christ are far better. They're far more important and they're far more special and I think, as we said this morning, sometimes we can think about the consequences of not trusting Christ. Eternity in hell. And we can think of those things. And those things are important, but we ought not to lose sight of the fact that knowing Christ is, has uh, benefits that cannot be measured and should leave us in awe of who he is and to bring us to worship him yeah, uh, with positive truth uh, as we learn about God here this evening. So... We're gonna read now from Ephesians chapter two and I want us as we read from Ephesians chapter two to think about the benefits of knowing Christ because this is a chapter that really speaks about being brought into sweet and saving relationship with him. Ephesians chapter two, let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what, is called un, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. And just a reminder as well, um, some of the questions that this topic is based on, uh, question 57 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this, what benefits hath Christ procured by his uh, mediation? And question 58 says, how do we come to be made partakers of the benefits which Christ hath procured? So this is kind of the topic we're going to be looking at this evening. The benefits, the benefits of knowing Christ and what benefits you could also say that we lack without Christ. It's important as believers in Jesus Christ that we know how wonderful it is to be a Christian Um, because otherwise we will not value being a Christian. Uh, If we don't value being a Christian, being saved, you know, uh, worship will be something we won't enjoy. It will be difficult. It may even seem, shall we say, boring. Not something you will do willingly and joyfully. However, if you see the benefits of Christ and how wonderful he is, not only will we wish to worship him. I'm not saying we won't struggle at times. We do in the flesh. But we will wish to be closer to him. And out of that flows, out of that seeing how blessed we are, we will wish not only to worship him, but also to share him with others. In the same way, you would wish to discuss things you're passionate about. We have hobbies. We have things that we do in our spare time, or even our jobs or our holidays in which we <laughs> love to talk about but do we love to talk about our savior with others Uh, do we love to tell others of the great blessings of being a christian and when we talk to somebody who's lost and doesn't know christ or and comes from outside of the church that we can tell them that they are robbing themselves of these great and wonderful blessings they're robbing themselves in unbelief So the first thing we're going to look at this evening, we're going to look at four uh, benefits of knowing Christ and four benefits of being one of his children. The first one is, number one, his peace. His peace, verses 14 and 15 of Ephesians chapter two. A lot of our uh, verses on this topic of these benefits will come from Ephesians chapter two. But uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 and verse 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Peace. Why is this this peace from God, peace from Christ, such an amazing privilege and a blessing? Because of the way we've been born. And I don't mean born again, I mean in terms of we've been born out of the womb naturally, not with peace, war. We could even say, naturally, we've all been born into a war with God until the Lord takes pity on us and puts us on, you could say, the winning side. Without peace, there is war. And in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter two, describes what we once were. Uh, Paul writes, and you, and it says he made alive. Those, those words are provided um, in the translation to make it very clear who Paul is referring to. He's, he's, not, he's referring to those who are saved. Um, he made alive is not, in the, is not in the original. That's why it's in italics. But you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you who at one time in the past were dead, well, you're no longer that. You now have peace. Um, this is what the war looked like. Uh, you once walked according to the course of this world. Um, the the course of this world or this kind of system of this world is at war with God. This is kind of the belief system of this world. Born, dead, not alive to God. And because we've been born dead, it, it says dead in trespasses and sins, there's a separation from that eternal blessings and life found only in Jesus Christ. And without that peace we talked about, there is war. War. In which you walk, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The devil. And the devil is at war with God. He is at war with God. And let's think of it from this way. Is it a blessing or a benefit to be on the losing side? Now the world doesn't Think of it that way, but it's on the losing side. It's, on the, it's part of the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, which will one day be completely defeated. It has been defeated at the cross, but will one day at the end of time be completely shown to be defeated. The world that doesn't trust in Christ is on the losing side. The winning side is, is all those who believe in Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done. If we remain dead in sin, that is the losing side we'll be part of. No matter the success in our jobs, no matter how big our farm is, no matter how much money we may save or how much how big our house and impressive our house may become, at the end of the day with a Christ, we're on the losing side. Because without Christ we're fighting a war we can't win we can't win see most of the world will look at us here this evening and think why are you here what's the point of this they don't understand the blessings of coming into the presence of Christ and to be blessed by him unfortunately they're under the wrath of God, John three thirty six says this: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. He's cut off from that life, and but the wrath of God, it says, abides on him. There's there's not just enmity and division one way between the, the unbeliever and God. There's also the wrath of God the other way. Toward the unbeliever. The one who continues in their fight against God. By knowing Christ. You are now following God. Because this is what it means to lay down our arms. There's a war going on. And when we surrender. We're not continuing to fight against God are we? We're surrendering to his peace. His terms of peace. And we are following him. To go the opposite. To go away from God. Is to really deny that going away from God is to fight with God and it's not something that's good for our soul God is good for our soul he gives us life he gives us blessings and if we go towards God there's blessings there this is what we have this evening dear friends we have the blessings of being in the presence of almighty God no the blessings of no longer being sons of disobedience Now sons of blessing. Sons of faithfulness. Sons of truth. Sons that follow light. And I know we do fall short of the glory of God. Even at this point in time. But yet we have been changed. We have been changed to those people. Who no longer seek war with God. But those who seek peace. The world and even the extremely worldly Christianity of today. The West. Much of what is In the world, it won't benefit. The truth of God and his word does benefit. This is what benefits. Much that goes in the the name of uh, Christianity today, I mean, it is claimed that there's over, what, is it one or two billion, I don't know what the number is, claimed to be Christians around the world. Well, the world would be a very different place if that were true. Many of the people, I know that includes Roman Catholics and other things like other people like that, but many do, who say that they follow Christ do not. The truth of God and his word will and does benefit if you believe. If you believe. You have the benefit of knowing Christ that you now no longer follow the lusts before. Look at our text again. Verse three. Among whom you were also once conducted yourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others. So Paul is writing to to the Ephesians and he's telling them what they once were. You were once following the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, these things that were not good for you, destructive, chaotic. You see it, don't you, with young people who become part of that LGBT movement and they openly are slaves and following the lusts of their flesh. And so much so that these lusts are even used to define them. They'll say, this is what I am. This is who I am. And they'll even say, no, no. Because they're so convinced of it. This isn't a sin. And you'll get this. Even with people who have grown up in Christian homes at times. Sins. i even include as well, there are sins that are Respectable. You know, if you go to different parts of the island, you know, if, you, if you've been out drinking the night before, people might laugh and think it's funny. It depends where you live. But sin is sin against God. The, the blessings of knowing Christ is knowing that you are alive and no longer following and being a slave to your dead lust. Your appetite is different. What you hunger for is different. If you ever went on a diet and you you trying to change your eating habits and you're trying to eat more healthy one of the blessings that can come out of that is that you get a you get a hunger for better food. I remember what 10 years ago I had to stop eating as much sugar. But now when I'm hungry in the evenings I get strangely enough a craving for blueberries or honey. Things I would never have liked 10 years ago. But it's the same with our Christian walk. We start having an appetite for things that we didn't have an appetite for before. The ones in the world, those who are slaves to their sin, defined by their sin, are by nature children of wrath. But Paul reminds them, you're no longer those things. You're no longer those things. It's important that we realize what we've been delivered from. Uh, Question 57 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, what benefits hath Christ procured by his mediation? The answer given in the catechism, Christ by his mediation hath procured redemption with all other benefits of the covenant of grace. We've been saved, but there's other benefits of the covenant of grace. Here in this world, not just that we're going to heaven, more than that. We've been set free from those destructive practices, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and other things that would, even in this world, potentially destroy us. You see people who've been saved out of particularly bad backgrounds. Maybe that's alcoholism or whatever it is. They've been rescued from that. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It says in 2 Corinthians 120, for all the promises of God are in him, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. The benef- one of the benefits of the covenant of grace is the help that Christ gives us as our mediator between God the Father and us. He pours out his Spirit upon us. And, dear Christian, though you may struggle at times, do you see this peace with God as a wonderful blessing? And by peace, because there's peace now, you have access to the Father to approach our God. That's a wonderful privilege. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Esther. Esther, in Esther chapter four, she's about to appear before the king, Ahasuerus. And if she goes without permission from the king, she will die. That was the ancient world. He had to reach out his scepter and give her permission to enter into the presence of God. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to enter into the presence of a king. It's even more when it's the king of kings. So we've looked at, number one, his peace. Number two now, his power. His power. It it describes here people who are once dead. You, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And... If you're dead, you don't have much power, do you? A dead person can't do a whole lot. Dead people don't have any power to rescue themselves. But look at this in verses four to six. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And this is something supernatural. This is something incredible. Taking a dead, lifeless sinner who once lived one way and changing him. And not just leaving him there dead on the ground, but bringing him up to heavenly places. Bringing us to heaven. Now you might think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. We're not in heaven yet. I'm not dead yet. But in one sense, we are in heaven Today, Look at the, the language that Paul uses here in this text. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Let's skip on to verse 6. And raised us up together. This is something that's happened. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not in heaven yet, but in one sense, we are united with Christ, Because he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. So do we in him. This is a wonderful privilege. This is the power from heaven. So we are seated today in heavenly places. And the question we have to ask ourselves is how is this possible? This isn't our power. This isn't our, our ability to whatever it is. It's the power of God. It's God reaching down and rescuing a pitiful sinner. And raising us up, bring us into union and communion with Christ. What a benefit. It's no longer, see our home is not here. Our home is in heaven because that's where we spiritually are. We share life with Christ. That life is heavenly. And we are raised up by grace. Which is a greater kingdom? The kingdom on this world? Or the kingdom to which we've been raised by the power of God toward? Greater riches are found with Christ. Given to you who have no power of yourself. We are powerless. I want to think about this in one way. Remember... Paul, the apostle, he's at this point in Acts. He's called when he's all the way through with Saul. And Saul, when he's going toward Damascus, this is in Acts chapter 9. And he's going there. Is he going there to investigate the claims of Christianity? Is he going there to have a cup of tea with the Christians to find out what they believe? No. He's going there to persecute the church. He's going there, breathing out threatenings. This is Paul before he's been changed. Did that happen? No. He is stopped by Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's only after the power from heaven intervenes in Saul's life. That Saul is able to respond like this. This is in Acts chapter 9 verse 6. So he trembling and astonished said. Lord. What do you want me to do? Notice this change in attitude. Then the Lord said to him arise and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. But look at the change in attitude. You see up until this point Paul or Saul. Thinks that following Jesus is the most offensive Thing that a Jew could do. He's, he's so vehemently against the Christian faith, he's willing to travel as far as Damascus to, to hunt them down. But God changes him. I think sometimes we can downplay how bad Saul or Paul was. But as soon as heaven reached down, Lord, what do you want me to do? His attitude changed. No longer was Christ the enemy. Christ was his Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? And if Christ is our Lord, we will ask that same question. Lord, what do you want me to do? His will is revealed in the word of the living God. Raising us to heavenly places, having victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Number three now, his purity. So we've looked at his peace, his power. Now we're gonna look at his purity, the purity that he gives to us. Now, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And the language that's used in Ephesians chapter two is of foreigners or people who are outside of the covenants of grace, they are outside of the privileges of the church. Outsiders, sinners, those who are, could say, impure. Unbelievers. But through Jesus Christ, because of the blessings of knowing Christ, we're clothed in his purity. It says in verse 11 and 12, therefore remember you, once Gentiles in the flesh, he's saying, once unbelievers, Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, made by the flesh by hands. That at that time you are without Christ, being aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, before we are outsiders. How have we been given this great privilege to come into the presence of God? How have we been given this great privilege to now have hope and to now have God? To now say that Christ is ours because he has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We've we've been kept before. We've been kept out. Why? Because of our impurity because of our sin, because of our lack of holiness, but because of the blood of Christ. Now we can come close to God. Verse 13 says this, but now, see, there's a big change. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what does the blood of Christ do? It washes us clean. It makes us white as snow. And so, we're able to come into the presence of Almighty God. And without that purity, without that cleaning, without that washing, we cannot come into the presence of Almighty God. Not only does he wash us clean from our sin, but he also gives us the righteousness of Christ. Verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 2, and that he might reconcile See this reconciliation. Them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enemy. Or the enmity. There's this enmity or division or hostility between these two parties. Between God and the sinner. And this division goes all the way back to sin in the, in the Garden of Eden. And it all goes back to Genesis 3 verse 15. There is division between the seed of the woman that's Christ and the seed of the serpent, that is those who do not follow Christ. And that division is there, and it will continue until someone is washed by the blood of Christ and made clean by him. It says in 1 uh, in Corinthians chapter six, First Corinthians chapter six, uh, verse nine describes certain sins. Paul warns them that these if you're if you're perpetually doing these sins do not be deceived you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul writes, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites" nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then I think, well, what hope do we have? Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You see, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you were once those things. Now you're no longer those things. Don't be deceived, but you're, you're washed. And I've no doubt when Paul is writing to them, some of them were guilty of many of these sins that were mentioned there. But they were washed, clean from their impurity. Such were some of you. For those who are washed, they come into the presence of, of Almighty God. It's important that we realize as well when we look around us, when we see the problems in the world, we do not blame God. It's sin. Sin has brought in this enmity. Christ has brought in peace. See the difference? Sin. Sin brings in suffering. Yes, God is in control, but it's our sin at the source of the suffering. We need this perfect purity of Christ. Not only are we washed, but our attitude changes in this world to purity and holiness. We now love that which we didn't love before, and that's purity and holiness. We now want to walk that way, and we see it in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, in which you once walked. Which means you no longer do these things. No longer walking according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. This is no longer the case with you. Verse 10 of Ephesians says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now our good works do not save us. But there's good works there. The good works, a bit like a a tree, you examine the fruit of the tree and go, okay, there's lemons on that tree. That's a lemon tree. Good works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been made partakers of the benefits of Christ, but we also love Christ. We love the benefits as well. We love the holiness which he brings, and we seek to follow it. We have been saved, not of ourselves. Verses 8 and 9, it's important to point this out. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. (laughs) Our final benefit that we're going to look at here this evening is his person his person so we've looked at his peace his power his purity his person so when you're looking at the benefits of anything the the danger is when we're looking at the best, the blessings of being a christian we we can forget the best blessing of all the best the bless the best benefit of all You see, the danger is we start thinking, okay, we believe in Jesus. Look at all the nice things I get. When he himself is the ultimate benefit of all, we get Christ, his person. We get him as a friend. We get him as a Lord. We get him as a savior. We get him as a king. To know this, this God, this, this man, this true God, this true man. He's there to help us. It says in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He's with you, dear Christian, always, even to the end of, put it another way, time. When time ends, he's there. When time, beyond time as well, he's there with you as well. We get him, and that is the most glorious benefit of knowing Christ. It is knowing him, he is their supreme reward. He is himself is glorious. I'm going to just read one or two quotes from Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon describes a loving relationship between Christ and. And his bride and Christ speaks of his bride in such loving, glowing terms, when he says, this, "Beloved, you are fair, my love." Behold, you are fair, you have dove's' eyes. The, the love and the tenderness that Christ has for his bride. In Song of Solomon 2, verses 10 to 14, it says, My beloved, this is Christ speaking, spoke and said, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, for lo, the winter is past; The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with The tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, O my dove. In the clefts of the rocks, in the secret places of the cleft, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Let your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone spoke to us like that and had that intense, passionate love for us? As a bride of Christ, we do. One of the things you notice, not just in Song of Solomon, but other books, is the tender, sweet love that Christ has for his bride. He lovingly embraces his bride. He he finds joy in his bride. And if you look as well, the bride finds delight in her husband, and the husband finds delight in his bride. That's the picture between Christ and, and his church. Christ is a loving spouse to his bride, the church. He is the ultimate and most important benefit of all, because of the love of which he lavishes upon us, the church. Christ is that chief cornerstone. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 19. To twenty-two. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, I think today we might struggle with that idea of cornerstone, and I think we we hear it and it sounds nice, but. In the ancient world, centuries ago, the cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. And any stone that didn't measure up to the exact measurements of that stone were broken into pieces. Every stone in the building had to measure up to that cornerstone. Today, it's maybe a ceremony, it's put in the corner of a building, it doesn't have much use other than that. But the cornerstone is the most important stone in the building. It is for measuring all the stones that the building will need. He is the measure. He is by which the church is built. No Christ, no Christianity, no salvation, no reward. For all this is in whom, it says in verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for the for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What better place than to be in Christ? He is the most important benefit and reward of all. So when we tell people about the benefits and the blessings of being a Christian, tell people about Christ. Tell them about how wonderful he is. Tell them about how he rescued your soul, how he answers your prayers, how he brought you to the Father. Even though you've sinned against him, he brought you to the Father. He died for you. I don't know if you have many friends who have died for you. He is the only friend who has died for us. Powerful. Glorious. And I pray this evening that we all know what a blessing, what a privilege it is to be a Christian. That we would know his peace. That we would know his power. That we would be clothed in his purity. And that above all else, that we would have his person. That we would have Christ as our chief delight. That he would be amazing, glorious. The foundation of everything we do in our lives going forward. Amen.